Hello and welcome to another episode of the 15 Minutes of Football Transfer New Central podcast. I'm Johnny Bentley, your host, and again, I'm joined by James. Hi, everyone. Yes. Um, yeah. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, it's been... Um, it's been, it's been another bizarre week, and I said, as I said about one or two weeks ago, it's been the strangest season on record, and you know, it's the uh, narrative keeps um, keeps reoccurring every week. It would seem it's been another bizarre week of Premier League football, and indeed football in general in, in many ways. Uh, Real Madrid suffering a, a shock home loss uh, in La Liga it doesn't happen very often to Thaddeus, and. Yeah, it's just it's just been a bit crazy. We've got four topics today, looking at Liverpool and Virgil van Dijk, the state of them at the moment with a possible long-term injury for their talisman. Then on the other side of the coin, we'll look at Everton, uh, who are performing really well at the moment, came out of the derby with a point, and, you know, where could their season go? Maybe with a bit of a look at their goalkeeper as well. And then we're going to look at Manchester United and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, massive win for them with a number of difficult fixtures coming up for Solskjaer. Um, so it was important really to win at St. James's Park and take the pressure off a little bit after the 6-1 embarrassment before the uh, international break. And lastly, we'll look around the European leagues, the big five European leagues, with some uh, big results going on over there. In particular, uh, a very interesting Milan derby with an old hero, uh, both of Inter and AC Milan, turning up with a double. I'm sure you probably know who that is if you haven't seen the score already. Big Swede he is. Big Swede. Uh, there yeah. you go. That, that's, your, that's, your, that's your countdown um, teaser before, before we get there. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Henrik Larsson. No, it's not. We've not, he's, we've not come back uh, out of retirement. But we'll start with uh, topic one, which is always a good way to begin. Liverpool, Van Dijk, you know, crazy game. I suppose it makes sense, actually, at the start of the 15-minute uh, segment to uh, maybe look at uh, the game as a whole yesterday, the 2-2 uh, draw against Everton. Mm. Uh, in case you hadn't realised, this has been uh, filmed on a Sunday night, so we're referring to it as yesterday. Um, I mean, it was, it was one of those, actually. I thought Liverpool played a very good game, certainly much better than they did against Aston Villa, where they were embarrassed 7-2. And it felt a bit like Murphy's Law in many ways, for those who aren't aware of Murphy's Law. It's whatever can go wrong will go wrong. Yeah. Um, and it did feel a bit like that, to a point where, after the full-time whistle, and I digested the game as a neutral, I did feel sorry for Liverpool fans. And that's, you know, that, that doesn't often happen to neutrals. but Yeah, no, yeah, it was a great game. Um, two good teams. You know, Everton have been playing really well. Plus, he's doing a great job there. And Albert Lewin is, you know, on fire right now. Uh, scored yesterday. Yeah, and of course, Liverpool. We know Liverpool. You know, great team. Coming off a coming off a really bad result. You know, so kind of a bit of pressure, especially in a derby. So yeah, did well. And there was a goal. I think in ninth, right at the end, that was kind of given given offside by VAR, which probably mm. wasn't offside. Mm. Um, so they'll be a bit they'll be a bit upset by that. But I think that kind of pales in significance to uh, what happened to Van Dyke, which you know all rivalries aside, is awful, awful injuries. Mm. I think it's I think it's an ACL, judging by the scans that they've they talked about today. That's a horrific injury for any player, and hopefully he comes back and makes a full recovery and uh but 
that's a really big blow for Liverpool because he's an absolutely key player for them. Mm. He really is. Mm. In fact, yeah. I mean, arguably, you could lose one of your attackers. They, they could lose one of their attackers, mm. one of their front three, and actually it wouldn't make as much of a difference as them losing Virgil van Dijk because Virgil van Dijk is not just a world-class defender, but he's a leader, he's an organiser, he's vocal, he's um, a calming influence on the younger defenders around him and the goalkeeper. Um, he makes a huge difference. I mean, you saw, we saw the difference when he signed for them, from even from the even from the half season before he signed to the half season after he signed, he made a huge mm-hmm. difference. So that will be a massive blow for Liverpool. Yeah, yeah. Um, that will that will severely dent their, their title chances. Doesn't mean they're out of the title race at all, but you know because they've still got Gomez, they've still got. But it, it does make it is a big blow for them, and um, it I mean, does kind talk- of open the playing field in terms of the title. For sure. Yeah, we, we we spoke about it actually on the Liverpool special thing. Uh, if you want to see our Liverpool special, I think we had Matt Addison on, if I remember, yeah. from the Liverpool yeah. Echo. If we if we go back to that, I asked Matt at the time, who did I think? You know, I asked him, was there any player who Liverpool could theoretically lose and replace? You know, in a transfer market uh, scenario, I know they don't have that now, but I did ask him that, and I I sort of suggested that Salah and Mane, as good as they were, there were options there if they lost one of that you know that um caliber because they get a lot of money and they could replace him one of those two maybe with a Jaden Sancho maybe even with a Kylian Mbappe if they uh, if they so desired and could manage to persuade brilliant Frenchmen to come in but even if they had a transfer window I think Van Dijk is the one player maybe with Allison as well maybe the fullbacks you'd argue as well it's very tough but Van Dijk is the one who seems to be the least replaceable the as you said all of the things that really uh, you attribute with him leader brilliant defender with his defensive instincts very fast very good on the ball scores goals um, in the opposition box he is you know the best defender in the world the best uh, centre half in the world so to lose him is as we say, there's been the report suggesting ACL. It, it is quite big, and I'd just like to draw the comparison to you, maybe with last season. Manchester City lost Emerick Laporte for the majority of that campaign, yeah. and their defence suffered massively as a result of it. Not just because he's the best defender at Manchester City and probably the best defender in the Premier League, aside from Van Dijk, best centre back, but also yeah. because his playing out from the back was also better and more consistent than, than the people who were alongside him. And, yeah. and, you know, that severely dented Manchester City's hopes of retaining their title because the balance, it, it, it was it was broken, essentially, and he was a huge cog in that wheel. So can you see similarities there with Van Dijk out? We say Gomez and Matip are very good centre-backs as well, uh, but we also thought that with, say, maybe Stones and Otamendi from before, when they yeah. lifted the title before, and you know, it turns out that when Laporte isn't there, maybe maybe the good centre backs don't look quite as good as they maybe did. That's true, and I think yeah, there's, there's a there's a big the intangibles that Van Dyke brings. Uh, like I mentioned being vocal, being a leader, being a calming influence. You know, kind of the mentality thing. Uh, it makes a difference. Those things make a difference, and they'll probably be able to do okay with him without him for a while. But over a whole season. Sustaining a title challenge, you know, it's going to be tough for them to, uh, you know, to sustain that um, over a season. I remember then, uh, and this is a long time ago, when Roy Keane did a cruciate ligament injury uh, for Manchester United. 
97-98, and um, they were running high at that point. They were at 12 points clear, you know, they, and they kept going for a while without him. But eventually, you know, his, not just his playing ability, but his leadership, his influence, his um, experience, his, you know, mentality, they missed that in the end, and they, and they lost the title, you know, to, uh, to Arsenal. And, yeah, and, yeah, you're talking about last year with, with City, Laporte, you know, um, being injured for a lot of the season. Vincent Company not being around the squad with his, again, the intangibles, the leadership experience, you know, all of that, even which is off the pitch as well as on the pitch. Even when he wasn't playing, he was a big influence. You, you can't, it's difficult to replace that. There's not many players like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not like they can just go out and buy another Van Dyke. You know, they can't. They can, I mean, I suspect they'll probably buy a centre-back in January if he's out for the season. Yeah. Or at least low, get a centre-back on loan. Could get Antonio um, Rudiger, James, on the loan. I'm sure you'd I be willing really to. Do... think that. Yeah, no, I did think that. <laughs> <laughs> I can take him. <laughs> Give him away. <laughs> uh, no, no, you're a big fan, yeah. Well, yeah, no. <laughs> um, but, um, but, yeah, I think they will go into, they'll probably go into the market for a centre-back. Yes, James is a big fan. Just as a disclaimer, James is a big fan of Antonio Rudiger uh, at Chelsea. That's why he's uh, offering his, uh, you know, him there. Well, yeah, I'm a big fan of Antonio Rudiger at any other club than Chelsea. Yeah. <laughs> oh, poor, poor Rudiger. <laughs> Leave him alone. No, he's a nice guy. He's a nice guy. Actually, he's got a good mentality. He's, he's he works hard. He's you know, nothing, I don't, I've got nothing against him, but he's just you know. He's not going to what, start. What, one of the funniest uh, announcement videos of all time, Rudiger, as well, when he came to... When oh, he my came God. From, yeah, that, was I know. that was so embarrassing. You haven't seen the Dale Stevens Burnley one. Now, that was uh, that was something to be- behold, I tell you, if you think that was embarrassing. Um, but uh, back to the topic back at hand, to, actually. Liverpool, yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, no, what I was going to say, actually, we talk about key players being out, and I've got to say, something that went really under the radar when Man City won the league with 98 points in the 1890 uh, season. They played the majority of that season without Kevin De Bruyne. And um, that is quite phenomenal to think about. Someone who's so influential, best midfielder in the world right now, arguably the best central midfielder in, or, or one of the best central midfielders in the world at that time, coming on the back of a brilliant 17-18 season. And he, wasn't, he didn't play 90% of the Premier League games. And it shows remarkable squad depth that they had at the time for the likes of Bernardo Silva, David Silva to come in and basically, you know, shore, shore up the uh, absence. Um, Liverpool might be trying to use that from a little bit of inspiration, hope that the sum of the parts that they already have can, can, make, up for the, uh, can make up for the absence, I guess, of their, their defensive um, warrior at the back, their defensive leader, their, their talisman in many ways. Um, and I was just going to say, actually... Um, with Alisson also out till we think um, some people are saying he might be back in October, uh, by the end of October, sorry, um, or, the, or the start of November. So that would be good, really needed, I guess, in the circumstances. But suppose Alisson and, and Van Dijk aren't in the team for a period of time. I mean, does that hinder Liverpool's ability to play a high-pressing game? Because obviously when you do that, you're asking a lot of your centre-backs when, you def- when your full-backs are basically wingers. Um, and you're asking a lot of your goalkeeper to act as a sweeper to clean up anything that gets past your centre-backs. Now, if Alisson's not available and Adrian's in goal, Adrian's not a convincing sweeper at all. And Van Dijk is a world-class defender because he takes big responsibility in, in a back two in many ways. Are Matip and Gomez able to do that to the same level? Obviously not. Um, you know, Van Dijk's in a level of his own. So do you think that they might have to compromise 
the high line a little bit and maybe say, right, we, we drop back 10, 15 yards? If well, yeah, that's the big question, isn't it? I mean, playing a high line is, works when you've got someone like Van Dyke who's quick and aware and positionally good. And I think Gomez is quick, though, isn't he, James? But the difference Gomez is, Van- yeah, and it's a bit, yeah, yeah, and this is where the organizational thing comes in because Van Dyke can just say, look, go there, don't go there, or stay back, or all that kind of thing because he's quite vocal. And he knows what you know. He he's very aware of those kind of things. He's experienced as well. Whereas Matip won't probably do that, you know. So they're like if they if they play the high line, if they keep playing the high line, they will get caught out a little bit. Yeah, mm. more than I mean, they got caught out a lot against Aston Villa, and that mm. was that was Van Dyke was Van Dyke was playing. Yeah. So, well, but um, Alice Allison wasn't, was he? So that was just yeah, I mean, one, of the, the one of the one of the two. Like, the next few games, Allison and Van Dijk are out. Like Allison's still injured, and that's a big blow. I, mean, I don't know who they're playing in the next few games, but it... she- Sheffield United at home, which is probably quite a good fixture to start off with, it given the form that they're in at the moment, and also yeah. West Ham at home as well. West Ham at home that could be quite a good game, actually. That will be a good game because West Ham yeah. are playing well at the moment. You know, they're, and uh, they're scoring goals. <laughs> you know, they scored three against Spurs today. They scored three against Wolves. Again, know. again, again! A quick reminder: this is being filmed on a Sunday. Just in case you think we've lost our marbles, uh, this is not live when it comes out. Uh, this is not live. I actually want to give you a quick uh, theory as well, James. I've seen Fabinho uh, when he was at Monaco. He played as a right back and a central defensive midfielder. Uh, generally, a more defensive midfielder for the majority of his time there. But he also had a period at right back as well. Um, so he's quite a versatile performer, and we've seen yeah. him play it centre-back for Liverpool on occasions and I think actually Fabinho as a centre-back could help sort yeah. of that 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 roll out because I think he's quite he's not, he's not unbelievably quick of course but he's not a slouch either but the biggest so he could perhaps play slightly deeper but I think the big thing with Fabinho is he is a leader he is he takes control he takes responsibility he's a wise experienced head um, th- and he's done fantastically in that central defensive midfield role. But my idea would be drop him back into that centre-back position to give a bit more leadership to the back two or the back four, whatever you want to call it, because they need it there. Put Henderson in the defen- central defensive midfield position because it's a position, it's a place where he's played really well in the past. Uh, we know he can do that and the slightly further forward box-to-box eight position. But leave the number eight where Henderson would play for Thiago and give him the Henderson role of the eight, give Henderson the Fabinho role of the six, move Fabinho back into central defence so that he can add a bit of order in the back line. Yeah, and then, the, and then, the, then the other number eight can be Naby Keita or Jorginho Wijnaldum. I think, yeah, to be honest, James... Yeah. yeah, sorry, I was just going to say, just to finish that, Thiago okay. Henderson and, and Fabinho are all sixes in, in a way... But the, Henderson can be an eight and Thiago can be an eight. But that the, the, essentially, you could look at what they play, played the three against Everton like they did as three playing three defensive midfielders in theory. So it's quite neg- negative in a way. It didn't look negative, but it could be classed like that. When Alderman and, and, and Cater are more advanced eights, they are more, that's what they do. So theoretically, it'd be tough to play them three in every game, I think. Because I think there's it, it sort of negates the advanced state that you might have of, of Wijnaldum or or, uh, or Cater. So that's why I think it could work to play all three of them with Fabinho in that centre back position, Henderson in defensive mid, and maybe Thiago. I think Fabinho could do will do a very good could do a very very good job at centre back. Yeah, 
I think that's what he'll do, probably. For the reasons that you mentioned, you know. He just uh, messaged me, James, actually. He messaged me what he was going to do on uh, Twitter, Jurgen Klopp. So that's why yeah, I just yeah, repeated yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's why I just repeated it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he told me, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so... <laughs> no, I think that's, you know, he played... He played Fabinho played at centre-back against Chelsea mm. uh, this season and, and we played really well. And really Bayern well. Munich uh, in the Champions League a, a while right. back, I think. Uh, very, yeah. very... And Van Dijk was injured then. They were great. So maybe so, that's yeah, where I'm they go. I'm not sure. Uh, it doesn't take them out of the title race at all, but it does make it a bit more open, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, the top two right now are... Who are the top two right now? <laughs> Everton and Villa. Everton yeah. and Villa are the top two right now, right? Um, yeah. And Liverpool are third. So, um, you know, it's uh, it's an interesting one. It I is. don't think Everton, yeah. Liverpool, Everton and Villa will be in the top four come the end, end of the season. Everton could be, maybe... Fantastic segue, James, because that's the second topic of the uh, of the oh, evening. Oh. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. Uh, well, it is now. <laughs> it is now. So, I mean, Everton on that, uh, you know, it parts, another team who were in that uh, Merseyside derby. Obviously, there need to be two teams to play in a derby, but uh, they were also, uh, you know, it, it was it was a derby embroiled in controversy. We talked a bit about it before. You know, the whole we'll, we'll, we'll go with Jordan Pickford to begin with, actually, and and, and analyze him a little bit because you know. First of all, I think most people are in agreement it should have been a red card, you know, in the first 10 minutes because it was a reckless tackle. Uh, Jamie Carragher, I think, summed it up perfectly saying, I don't think it was malicious. He's getting a lot of abuse on social media. But again, he, as Carragher said, these things do happen. Sometimes rush of blood or a genuine attempt to get the ball when you're in a panic state. And, and that's what happens. I, again, I don't think he meant it and I would agree with that. But Pickford should have been sent off with... Uh, Many people believe, you know, with the first ten Absolutely, minutes, yes. And then, in the as we as you touched on before, in the latter stage of the game, the, the, in, in added time, uh, when it looks like it's gonna, his team's gonna uh, take a point. It looks like Liverpool's won it when Henderson drills a low shot in. Pickford should get it, and the ball flop. The ball goes over his hand, and it's it's a goalkeeping error again. Looks like Liverpool's won the derby, but obviously it's pulled back for offside. So really. I mean, aside from those two moments, actually, Pickford's had not had quite a good game. But on another day, there's been two massive opportunities there for him to have cost his team in a massive game, and it's not it's not something we're uh, we're not used to, is it? I mean, it's a bit worrying, isn't it? The amount of the, the the regularity, the regular nature of the errors that are cropping up by Pickford, it's a bit of a concern now, isn't it? It is a big concern. It's you know, if it keeps on, it can potentially sabotage this season. I mean, mm. there's a couple of goals I've conceded this season because of Pickford directly. Well, he ha- as I said, James, like in brief, I know, I know I waffled there, but two big things in that derby that he was that went for him could have easily gone against him. You know, I mean, he could have lost his team the game after, you know, in less than five minutes, less than ten minutes. Sorry, less than ten minutes when um, when he did that challenge on Van Dijk. That could have cost. They could have lost three or four nil because they'd have been down to ten men. Liverpool were, you know, rampant. You know, they were the the man advantage. You, you couldn't see any way for Everton to come into the uh, to come into that game. And then when you think that they've that they've got the point again, he almost you think he's made the error that's given them the victory at the end. So two major things that could have gone wrong that went for him, and it kind of masks it, it masks it in a, in a sense, but. Do you? I, I suppose I can ask you as a, as a Chelsea fan, James. Is this like Kepa Ariza Balaga two point It is. Mm. Yeah, it absolutely is. Although I think 
I don't think anyone can get to the levels that Kepa got to. Oh. <laughs> how poor he was. And yeah, maybe I'm a bit biased in that respect. But but yeah, it almost seemed like with Kepa that every shot that was every shot face went in. Um mm. but but Pickford, yeah, he's making two he's making silly mistakes and uh he's it is a problem. When you don't have a keeper that you can trust, it's a problem because the defenders then get nervous because they don't they're not confident in the goalkeeper. So they might think they might like being caught in two minds as to what to do because oh I don't I don't have confidence in the goalkeeper so I might not pass it back to them because I might make a mistake or you know I need to get you know so when you, when a, when a, when centre backs don't have confidence in the goalkeeper that's a big problem for the defence mm. mm. it makes a huge difference I mean Liverpool had the problem when Carrius was in goal for Liverpool there was the same issue mm. right because uh, no matter, yeah, because he made he made silly errors that he shouldn't make that. A Premier League keeper shouldn't make, and mm. so something has to give. Something has to, at some point, you know, he has to start eliminating these mistakes. If, mm. if Everton want to be competitive consistently over the season, they're going to have to sort that out because um, yeah. they're playing well right now. They won't be able to put. They won't be playing well every single game. They'll have a bad run because every team has a bad run. You know, if they keep, yeah, if 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 he stays in goal. That's going to damage their their, their chances for sure. Mm. Well, uh, no matter how good their centre backs are or how mm, well organised mm. they are, if the goalkeeper's a problem, it's a real problem. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you, you you've sort of you summarised perfectly the importance, as I say, of having that the goalkeeper. I'm going to offer a counter argument in a second, or at least some kind of balance to what he does give this Everton team, but. You know, we talk. You sort of we we talked a little bit about Kepa there, and uh, you know, the you, as you know firsthand, the effect that that giving a almost being a goal down in a game every week can have on on, on your respective team. Um, and you, I know that certainly not affected you particularly well watching that with the old goalkeeper. Um, as I say, single handedly putting the opponent one up in a lot of games. But I mean, we look at the. Um, we look actually at, at, at the at the at the, the games this season and uh, just going through a few of these. I mean, I think in the um, uh, Brighton game recently as well, Brighton didn't have a shot or they hadn't had an attack of note, and then he spilled a, a, a poorly taken shot, and then Mapai um, came in and and and, f- and scored the rebound um, against West Brom. Some people were saying he could have done a bit better with the Dean Garner goal. I think in the Cup game, I can't remember who they played, but he made two, I'll, I'll come back to that actually, but he made two mistakes in that Cup game uh, as well. So it is uh, a bit of a problem in, in many ways. And uh, But I suppose, I, I, I'll make the comparison now, I guess, and then I'm going to do the, do the counter a little bit. But it reminds me a bit of when Manchester City got Claudio Bravo in 16-17 season. Bravo, for me, you looked at him, with, and he was perfect for what Pep Guardiola wanted style of play-wise. Uh, with his feet, even last season, you'd argue, I mean, with his feet, there's only, I think, Edison as a distributor, maybe, in the league. Maybe, Alisson. Only Edison comfortably, who's a better distributor than Bravo was in the league. Because, um, you know, Bravo was exceptional at kicking the ball. Mid-range passes, short-range you know, short passes, long passes, always ac- often very accurate. And never, you know, he, he wasn't, at all phased by having the ball at his feet, he'd come out with the ball. You know, he was really comfortable in in terms of keeping the build-up play going and and encouraging his team to pass out, and that was perfect. However, he was giving away almost a goal again because he wasn't good. In, he, he wasn't 
He was making mistakes and he wasn't saving enough shots. And that's obviously fundamental for a goalkeeper. And it took time, but eventually then Guardiola said, well, probably enough's enough. And he put Caballero in goal. And then the summer after, he got Edison in and Bravo was then just the cupkeeper. So, you know, essentially, he was very important for Guardiola's style. Caballero was never going to be the long-term answer, but it was like the short-term stopgap for the for the goals that the, the City team were leaking. They needed a bit more stability in goal from a from just a saving perspective to get the Champions League football that, that City needed in his first season. And then the season after that, they got Edison, who was even better than Bravo with the ball at his feet, which is quite something because he was also brilliant with the ball at his feet. But more importantly, he was also a very good shot stopper and he gave confidence, I think, to his defence that if they were breached, he could make one or two key saves that were needed and he wouldn't let easy goals in. So do you think there's a, a point that, I suppose I, I'm, I'm almost feeling my counter-argument there, do you think there's a point that Pickford at the moment has Ancelotti's trust because when Everton play out from the back, he's very good at it. Just like Bravo was, he's very, very good at it. Yeah. He is. He is <laughs> Sorry, I was going to carry on. I, th- I just thought I, I've spoken. No, I thought you were going to carry on. Yeah. I, 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 I stopped. <laughs> I like this. Well, actually, I will. I'll just finish, I'll just finish this point then. I, was, I, thought, I, I thought I'll let you speak, James, but I'll just finish my point. Then, that Even when you saw him against Liverpool and he wasn't playing well, you just had to watch his passing out from the back. And that's why I sort of I agree with you to a point. He doesn't fill his defence with confidence. And I'm thinking of that with the balls coming into the box and there's a nervousness. But I do take I do disagree with you on the point they wouldn't that they might be afraid to pass back to him. Because I think he's good on the ball. I think, you know, you give Pickford the ball. I think sometimes he, he unnecessarily kicks it too long and gives the ball away. And I saw once or twice, I think Hammers was looking as though to say, Why are you doing it so quickly? Sometimes I think he gets a bit carried away. But on the whole, if you watch over the 90 minutes, the amount of times he plays low driven passes 40 50 yards to you know and, and beats a beats a line beats a press and you think you know there's not many goalkeepers that could do that there really isn't you know the comfortableness that he has on the ball coming out dribbling with the ball playing a nice short pass to his defenders playing first time passes up the field hitting Carlett Lewin with balls over the halfway line and not consistently hitting you know his men over the halfway line he can do you know, technically, he's a very, very good keeper, and there's not many in the league that can do what he can do with that respect. So it's not like, you know, they've got Olsen now, huge goalkeeper who they got on deadline day um, as a backup. I don't think, well, obviously, I don't, I don't think anyone expects him to just displace Pickford really, because, you know, everyone was saying Romero maybe because he can do the kicking a bit as well, and they should maybe get a keeper like that. But do you think Ancelotti, as I say, and you were going to answer that? But that range of passing, the ability to build up play, comfortableness that it has on the ball, it makes them a progressive team. It makes them a level ahead some of some other teams. So that's probably why he's there. Yeah, that's it. And this is, <laughs> we've had this conversation about goalkeepers before where, you know, um, we were talking about England goalkeepers generally, that the modern goalkeeper needs to be good on the ball, needs to be good at distribution. There's two kinds of goalkeepers. You know, we talked about this. Pope, for example, does not good at distribution necessarily, but a great shot stopper, great in the air, commanding, all those things that are kind of old-style keeper that, that you'd want. I mean, I still want those things in the keeper, but yeah, now in, in, in modern football, you need to have, have some have ability on the ball. And it does help when you have a goalkeeper who can pass out from the back and is good at distribution and all of that, and Pickford is good at that. Uh, and that's probably why he still plays, because because he's good at that. And But he's got to improve his shot stopping. He's got to improve 
he's got to cut out the mistakes. He's got to, you know, because otherwise, ultimately, he'll have, otherwise, he will pay the price because ultimately, you can't, a team can't keep conceding silly goals. And um, if a goalkeeper was responsible for you conceding silly goals, then ultimately, at some point, you have to make a tough decision, you know, and um, they bought, didn't they buy a keeper in the window? I thought they yeah, they got they got they got Olsen, didn't they? Um, yeah, they so, brought Olsen in. Very, very opposite. Huge goalkeeper. I think he's six foot five, if I uh, remember rightly. Six foot five, but I don't think he's as renowned for his for his capabilities on the ball. So it's I don't know. I don't know if Ancelotti is necessarily going to, unless it gets really desperate, he's going to be reluctant to make that change. It's why I think myself and others were thinking Sergio Romero get that done because Sergio Romero is very good on the ball. It is also very you know he's he's been a very consistent, well at least second choice goalkeeper for Man United in Europe over the years and he's also quite good with the ball at his feet so it made sense that one I think he couldn't get that done but again I think I guess it depends where Everton want to be we talked about where can they be I mean is Pickford a hindrance to maybe their hopes of trying to get European football and when I say European football at the moment you know some people are saying Champions League but and and it's hard to say no because of where the way the season is but if you if you look at a red herring or, or or something that's going to hold them back, it's going to be the goalkeeper, isn't it? Even though he does so yes, much for them in terms of build-up, yes, which I must emphasise. As well, because strength and depth over a season, you need that. Because fixture congestion, injuries, yeah, especially this season, which is really congested. Yeah, it's going to be... It's tough to sustain over a season anyway. Mm. But, yeah, having if he keeps making mistakes, silly mistakes, then that's going to hinder them, yes. Can I just say then, can I just say, would it be more of a hindrance to have a goalkeeper that doesn't do as much for the for the flow of play and, and maybe cost them goals in terms of what they wouldn't have had because they don't have a keeper to beat the press and play out the way they do and, and lead the progressive football that they have? Would it be uh, more of a burden to have someone who was a good shot stopper but stopped the flow from the back, as in... Was poor, you know, couldn't distribute as well. Gave the ball back when he was doing long kicks. Didn't fill the cup, uh, defenders with confidence when he was on the ball and coming out with it. But then he saved shots quite regularly, so better than Pickford in a traditional goalkeeper sense. What, which one? Which one do you go with? I mean, if you want Champions League football, James, like some of them do, I think you need someone who can do both. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. You need someone who can do both, and I'm always there on the side of stopping goals rather than scoring them, because if you can't, because you can score, and we've seen this weekend, you could score in two games, you could score three goals in a game, but if you can't stop goals, it doesn't matter. You still won't win games. If you keep clean sheets, you have a better chance of winning games. Like, if you, if you keep a clean sheet, you only need to score one goal to mm. win a game. Mm. And Not many teams keeping clean sheets now. <laughs> no, well, Aston Villa are. I mean, I think Aston Villa have kept... Aston Villa have... have Three clean sheets out of four, haven't they? They've only conceded two goals. Remarkable. They're going to win the league. They're winning the league. Absolutely. Um, no, <laughs> yeah. they are. Yeah. Everton <laughs> I, I second. Doubt that, but yeah. Yeah. Good start. But, yeah, yeah. They're playing well. Um, Can I just say, actually, before we move on from the section, you, you uh, just a quick word on goalkeepers. I think in Emmy Martinez, Aston Villa have a goalkeeper that can do both sides of the game. I do think that. I think they've got someone who can play it out yeah. with the confidence and precision almost of Pickford, maybe even on Pickford's level, from what I've seen when he was at Arsenal and at Villa, very, very confident and composed on the ball. Maybe Pickford has a slight edge, but it's not much in it. But certainly as a goalkeeper, he's got all the all the elements you'd want, commanding, 
good short stopper comes out leads for leads with by example from between the sticks so maybe he's the one that got away for the Evertonians I don't know I think he's a good keeper anyway topic three another happy moment for another team well it was happy moment for Everton as we say I suppose from that they'll be still unbeaten happy for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as well who was under pressure with many people saying that Mauricio Pochettino is looming you know, he's like the Grim Reaper, I suppose, Pochettino, isn't he, for uh, for Solskjaer at the moment, I suppose. Whenever he has a bad result, he can almost hear Maurizio Pochettino's um, quiet whispers from behind. It's mm. you, do, you do feel, uh, I do feel a little bit sorry for him in that respect, but um, how big was that 4-1 victory for them? Even though it was against Newcastle, I, and I looked, I mean, when, when I saw the team, James, I must admit, when I saw the United lineup, I thought, what's he doing? I thought that was, you know, it, it it was bizarre to me almost because he dropped Pogba, which was fair enough, but then Maguire was still playing and Shaw was still playing. I thought that's strange. McTominay and Fred were a double pivot against Newcastle, who don't really score goals. I thought that's a bit strange. Uh, Mata was back after not playing. He didn't start a game in the lockdown period and suddenly he's back. And then Van der Beek was still on the bench. Rashford's up front, even though... He doesn't play up front, really, or hasn't done that well up front traditionally. Daniel James was back. And then they won 4-1, so it doesn't matter, and they managed to find a way around it. And, you know, fair play to fair play to Solskjaer for sticking to his guns, keeping Maguire on. He scored, of course. But I guess it, I talk about all that. It was just about winning, wasn't it? It was just about winning, getting three yeah, points. Yeah, they needed to win. They did. After the 6-1 last time, they, they had to come back with a win. And they did, you know, like what one is a, it was anything when. I'm hesitant to say it's all turned around suddenly because mm. they've got a they've got a difficult run of games coming up now. Mm. I think they've got PSG in the Pre Champions League. They've got Chelsea next week, and then they've got Arsenal. Is that right? Coming up, they've got Le- they've Leipzig, got, Leipzig as well, and Leipzig as well. Top, got top of the Bundesliga. Tough, yeah, they've got they've got a tough run of games. So to get that win is really important because. You know, if they start losing, if they if they lose on when in, on, against PSG and lose against Chelsea, you know, for example, then the pressure is all back on again. It mm. feels like every time they lose a couple of games, the pressure's on Solskjaer again. Mm. You know, mm. it's for me, it kind of feels like almost they're almost. I get this sense that they're waiting for an excuse to get rid of him. There's, you know, it doesn't feel at all settled at all. Man United, and you know, we've had the whispers of Pochettino already. He's kind of lo- he's loomed like a shadow over over Solskjaer since he was since he was sacked by Tottenham. Mm. You know, I mean, it was uh, last season when Man United were having a bad run. They were talking about Pochettino. You know, mm. it's it almost feels like it's uh, that it's, yeah, like you say, this ghost that's haunting him all the time <laughs> because Pochettino is a top manager, and mm. you know, he would be. I mean, he would he would t- he would get the job if. Solskjaer left, or he'd be offered it anyway. Mm, mm. Um, he would be the first choice, um, for almost certain. Maybe, maybe they go for uh, maybe they go down the ex-player route. I mean, Paul Ince wanted the job last time, didn't he? I remember Paul Ince said, "Well, yeah, I mean, they've, they've just gone down the ex-player route with Solskjaer." <laughs> yeah, no, I, I was, I, I wa- no, I was joking because I just remember Paul, Paul Ince when he came out and Solskjaer was on that mad run. Said, "Well, I could have done that." Everyone, any, any had <laughs> I just thought, come on, Paul, um, show a bit of respect to one of your ex-teammates. It's not, um, there's not a time for jealousy, but uh, yeah, I, d- I don't think they'll be going for Paul. Is I think you're probably right, but I, d- I do want to say actually with Solskjaer, how big a win it was was because of that run that they've got coming. 
very very tough run that they've got ahead and mm. if they'd lost or drawn with Newcastle then they were you know it was almost you were you were really fearful for Solskjaer at that point um but I would say that he's I think there's been two moments last season where he he was really up against it and people expected Pochettino to be imminent almost when they went into December uh they drew 2-2 with Aston Villa at home they'd just lost to Astana in the Europa League they'd only won once away from home it's uh, in the um by December in the 1920 season, that was to Norwich. They'd lost to Bournemouth. They'd lost to West Ham, and they, they were really struggling. They were really, they were just not looking too good in general. Then they had Spurs at home, who were doing really well under new manager Mourinho at the time, and then they had Man City away. And people said, if he loses these next two games, he's gone. And people thought he might be gone because they were re- two really tough games, and they won both games. And, he, yeah, and, he, yeah. and they won 2-1 they won and, and, and they praised Solskjaer for going to a back three being defensively rigid and uh, you know forcing these opponents onto them before pitting them on the counter-attack and they did that so well I remember at the Etihad uh, Man City just ex- you know they, they played the usual game high line um, looked to break United down United really rigid back three back five hit them on the counter with the pace of Martial and company. I think Daniel James played quite well in that game as well, in a more central position. And you know, and they, and they did. And I suppose he pulled the rabbit out of the hat. A rabbit yeah, out of the hat. Sorry. And the second one, James, was was when Burnley beat them two 0 at Old Trafford. And that was I remember. Well, it was nice for me um, as a Burnley fan. But I remember, yeah, yeah. But I remember how flat United were, and they just looked so lost, lethargic. You thought. Well, this is bad because, Bur- you know, with all due respect, you shouldn't be losing to Burnley two 0 at home, and they have they just look so bereft of anything. And then all of a sudden, you know, you thought again, Pochettino might be coming, and then they didn't lose another game in the Premier League all season. They it, yeah. they won six 0 against Tranmere uh, in the cup. Uh, they beat Man City one 0 again in the Carabao Cup in the second leg. But I think they went out on uh, aggregate over the two legs. Yeah, they did. And- yeah. And then they beat Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. Um, and they went into lockdown and they did remarkably well. They got third. So almost, you've got to give a bit of respect, I suppose, to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer because when he gets struck with lots of adversity and people write him off and say he's on the brink, he, he, put, he, he seems to find a rabbit in the hat. Well, he's done it twice now. Yeah, uh, he does. And event- I mean, yeah, he does. I think eventually it feels inevitable that he will leave because. Man United have this cycle. Um, mm. They seem to, when they qualify for the Champions League, they don't spend as much money in the window. And then they don't qualify uh, for the Champions League the next year. They sack the manager, spend a load of money, and then qualify for the Champions League again. Mm. And then this is the same cycle. You look at the last few managers, um, especially you know, Mourinho and, uh, and Van Gaal before him, it was that cycle. And yeah, I mean, I you know, I, I know a few Man United fans, and they're, they're, they, they're, their concern is that is that the board basically are concerned with profit, and and there's no football structure, and there's no football strategy, um, there's no long term strategy really. I mean, Solskjaer has tried to bring one in, and that and he deserves a lot of credit for that. I you know he gets a lot of credit for that because of the type of players that he's wanted to bring in have been young, mm. talented players with potential who can improve, um, and. But he's not got all the last summer. He didn't get all the players he wanted. He wanted Sancho and he wanted a centre back and he wanted, you know. But he didn't get either of those. And it's not really you can't really blame Solskjaer as as much as the Man United board. But 
it does feel like ultimately they won't have enough this year to get top four. And whether it's during the season or at the end of the season, Solskjaer will will probably leave. It just depends on how well they do over the season. You know, is it uh, is it a bit early though to write them off, given the nature of the season that we, we've we, we've seen no. currently? I mean, it's I, I wouldn't mad, write them off. No, I wouldn't write them off right now. No, mm. but. You can't say because I can't. You can't predict anything right now. It's no. impossible to predict who's going to win the title and who's going to finish in the top four. Because mm. there's a lot Do, of teams that have the ability and potential to finish in the top four or to win the title right now, but it's difficult to see to see who that, that will be because of the nature of the season. I mean, do we think that maybe um, I don't know? Do we think I, I do think a lot of people are under they're writing off Cavani really a bit too soon because he's. You know, judging by his uh, social media, working incredibly hard, and he wants to let the world know he's working incredibly hard um, to get himself fit and firing for the for the upcoming yeah. season. I think the only reason I think he missed, I think he missed the uh, start of of against Newcastle. I think was due to uh, the the um, I think he had to be uh, do his isolation period, didn't he? Because he came came mm-hmm. over, and I think he was in isolation, so he couldn't just jump onto the, jump into the team against Newcastle, <laughs> but. I think, yeah, I think he could be um, a real boost for United because they're going to get someone who's a, a hard-working, high-pressing goal scorer, and it might push Martial to the left, which is a position where I think he could do really well actually, given he's got the he loves to take on players one v one. He's as good as most players in the league at that, and he doesn't get the opportunity to do it too much up front, but he could do from that left-hand side. Gives Rashford a bit of competition uh, as well. Um, you've got Van der Beek who can still come in. You've got Alex Tellez who's probably going to come in over Shaw. So, in a crazy, crazy season, in, in, in a very underwhelming transfer window that United have had, you know, I suppose anything's possible, even even for even for Solskjaer. And I've got to admit, if I agree with you, I think the, the, this thing goes in cycles, and I do think that they are looking for an opportunity uh, to maybe bring in Pochettino. However. If Solskjaer manages to see out the season, I mean, should we just take our hat off to him and say, you know what, you are, uh, you deserve a lot more respect than the majority of people have been giving you. He he will get respect for that. Yes, I don't think he's an elite manager, but he will get respect. Yeah, if but, it's, that, but, but it's Frank Lampard. Deserve respect. You deserve respect for that achievement. Yes, yeah. he will. But but what? But who is it? Is Frank Lampard an elite manager? He's not. He's not. Not yet. No. Not I don't yet, think he is. No. Nope. Not is yet. Mikel Arteta? No, he's not, even though I've, I've lauded yet, him as a, as a star. I think there's an element of Arteta you can see that he's got that potential. I agree with you. I do think that Arteta uh, could become I, an elite. I, I really can see. You can see it. You can see mm. it. Um, yeah. Although it's intangible. Uh, but, and Lam- Lampard, to be fair to him, he's got, what is it, £250 million pounds to uh, back up his... Um, yeah, he's, yeah this, is a, this, is, this is a season where he's got to start proving himself. Yeah. No. But uh, I mean, go on, James. Last last two on this topic. But any words of encouragement, maybe for for United fans, and and, and what what do you kind of? I know we've had that sort of negativity, but is is there something that makes you think? Actually, you know what? Uh, maybe not necessarily the four one, but given you know the way that it's not completely imploded at the first time of asking, can you see a little bit of light? Yeah, yeah, they've got quality players. They've got quality players. Their squad's not a bad squad. They finished third last year. Yeah, and you know, Cavani. Yeah, it depends on how how 
fit he is, how often he can play. I bet, I bet he gets Martin nearly 20. didn't play that much because no, he was he didn't. injured and didn't get if many goals. So if he stays team, fit, I think yes, he'll get nearly 20 goals or 20. If he stays fit, he that'll be a big asset for them. Yes, absolutely. Mm. No question. Yeah. So, yeah. And Tellers is a good player, very good player. Mm, definitely yeah. will yeah. do well for them. And yeah, so there's 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 seeds of optimism, you know. So it's not all it's not all kind of give up hope. And you know, I mean, ultimately, if Pochettino did come in, I mean, crikey, what a manager to to have. And ultimately, even if the worst did happen and Solskjaer left, Pochettino is a top manager. So it's not uh, all doom and gloom. No. My prediction: if Cavani stays fit, I think he'll certainly extend. Solskjaer's lifespan at the club because I think he'll add a new dimension to that attack, breathe new life into the into the club, and also I think with Alex Telles bombing on from the left, I think he could also add a, a spark which has been lacking a little bit with Luke Shaw there uh, when bombing forward, perhaps in a similar way to Ben Chilwell at, at Chelsea uh, since he's coming. Anyway, topic four: broad European sort of outlook, and I suppose I sort of touched on it before. I don't know why I build it as some kind of. Um, little teaser for, for who might have scored in the derby because one it's obvious and two um it's about three <laughs> it's about four days later so i mean you'll have probably seen the news but you might not have done you know sometimes it's not always broadcast on mainstream media but probably yeah biggest game of the uh of the weekend on foreign lands probably the milan derby into one milan two milan top of serie a with four wins out of four so really good start from there really good start by ibrahimovic as well who uh, despite contracting coronavirus, is still banging in goals left, right, and centre. And I mean, two goals, two goals against Inter. Uh, Antonio Conte at Inter Milan, who many were tipped to mount another title push this year, or maybe even go one better than second. And yeah, disappointing result for them. And fans were frustrated. It took so long for Antonio Conte to bring Christian Eriksen on the off, off the bench, uh, given that the team were quite rigidly set up. Sounds but, familiar. But 39-year-old Ibrahimovic, I mean, aging like a fine wine. No question about it. Absolute elite player. What were your thoughts on him, though? I mean, he's a very polarising player. I personally loved him. I bought his book. Oh, Uh, I I love him. I I think he's fantastic. He's, he's, yeah, he's the kind of player that I'd love to, most people would love to have at their club. Mm. Because of just his his quality first, Mm. um, but also, his character, his leadership, his confidence. He's a kind of player that lifts other players around him. Mm, and mm. like, you know, when he was at Manchester United, you could see that. It was a it was it made a huge difference to their season when he was until there. his injury, he was brilliant for Man United, wasn't he? he was so yeah, I mean I always wonder what would have happened if he hadn't got that injury, you know, because I think he would would, have, would they have signed Lukaku even if he hadn't have had that I don't injury? know, I think they probably would mm, I don't know. I don't know. Interesting. No, because he because he's proved he can still do it now. Mm. You know, so, I feel like when he came back from that injury initially, and Man United fans will say he wasn't the same player for that last half of the season in his second season. So he went to the M- you know, he, got, he eventually went back to the MLS, but he was outstanding in the MLS. Really re- revitalized his career, came back with a bang, and people thought oh, it's just the MLS. So he came back to Serie A, and now he's doing it again for Milan. It was almost like he needed that. You know that release, this a slight drop down in level to rediscover himself. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And to, you know, to be playing at Syria, uh, top level for at thirty nine and mm. performing consistently is phenomenal. No, it you've is. got to put yourself in such. As you get older, your body 
is le- it's less it's less easy to stay in shape and mm. play at elite level. And for him to be able to do that, especially with the body he has, he's a very tall, big, built body. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to be able to do it is, is incredible, really. It's, 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 yeah. yeah. And who knows? I mean, again, you don't know what can happen this season. It's no. just... Yeah, I mean, Stefano Pioli in charge has got them playing with a more defensive structure, or at least not a defensive, not 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 defensive minder, sorry, but more structured at the back. Uh, Simon Kiar and Alessio Romagnoli. Kiar brought in big guy at the back, leader Romagnoli, linked with many clubs usually during transfer windows, but not quite, not perhaps the leader that Milan wanted. Kiar's come in perfectly suits Romagnoli, made a big made a big impact in that defence. Also, Donnarumma, as everyone knows, very talented young goalkeeper. Again, linked with various Premier League clubs always in in uh, transfer windows. Summer, yeah, yeah. And I mean, they've got a good blend of young players as well, which helps with Ibrahimovic uh, being the, the the opposite end. And also, Hakan Chalanoglu, uh, set-piece genius, um, also can offer something. I, do, I suppose Ibrahimovic is also pretty dab hand on set-pieces, but the you know general makeup of that team is is quite promising anyway um and uh, and even though a title push you might have thought would be out of reach this season is quite crazy i mean juventus dropping points against crotone and it's crotone's first point of the season uh, a bit of a stuttering start for andre pirlo's team two wins two draws uh Maratta scored Maratta scored for Juventus in the absence of, in the absence the absence of Ronaldo, who who obviously is uh, self isolating with coronavirus. But I suppose uh, yeah, he got mad as a match as well, James. So I suppose maybe um, maybe he likes his um, his old surroundings a little yeah. bit more than he did in Spain. I think for Maratta, he always wanted to go back to Italy. Mm. Even when he was at Chelsea, I think I remember he met with a load of Italian clubs and tried to. Tried to get a deal to move back to Italy because he, I think that that's where he'd performed and where he felt settled. And his wife is Italian um, as well, which is another thing. So I think going back to Juventus, where he would, where he had a really good season before, um, a place where he felt settled and comfortable. I think that that makes a difference for him. Uh, he suits that league probably more. Uh, and Pirlo um, knows him, doesn't he? Because um, you know yeah, he, he was he, he was around, so he knows his strengths, he knows his weaknesses. But again, I suppose Pirlo, d- uh, d- first time is being a manager, two wins, two drills, not really ideal. I know they're unbeaten, but it's a bit of a stuttery start again. Crotone's first point of the season. Juventus don't really be want to lose two points in a game like that, specific, especially when you know the rivalries, uh, you know the gaps. Uh, between Juventus and the rest of the team, it's closed quite a bit uh, over the years, and obviously into trying to catch up. And Milan four wins out of four, so uh, big season for Pirlo. Um, it's a bit, um, yeah, huge season for Pirlo. Um, but are they, I suppose, look ahead in the Bundesliga now. Um, many people thought um, it was a poor segue, but never mind. Uh, many people thought that um, how would how would uh, Leipzig cope without Timo Werner? Man who's got all the goals, uh, or a lot of the goals um, for them in the seasons gone by, particularly last season. Uh, they're top of the Bundesliga, <laughs> uh, so they're doing quite well. Uh, <laughs> Julian Nangelsmann is a fantastic manager who has a brilliantly fluid setup. Uh, I actually think some people were saying, oh, Werner's struggling to adapt to uh, the Premier League, or he doesn't look very good at Chelsea. And I was saying, well, I suppose when you look, when you watch Leipzig play uh, with Werner there, 
they look like they know what they're doing with patterns of play and attack. And when you watch Chelsea, with all due respect for the first two or three games, it looked a lot more like they were thinking a bit too much about how to build up. It didn't look like it was as fluid as, say, Leipzig. Well, yeah, I understand what you mean. Yeah, and Leipzig is an excellent, excellent mm. manager. I mean, he's... Mm. I tell you he's what. He's a rising star. You know, he's, he's going to be two big uh, things. Yusuf Poulsen, uh, the striker, came off the bench and... Uh, if it wasn't for that goal, actually, that uh, Lanzini scored uh, for Tottenham, I'd say this might be the goal of the weekend. It still might be. Unbelievable volley to uh, second goal against Augsburg. Uh, Leipzig won 2-0 and it's sort of uh, almost Marco van Basten-esque. It was, it was incredible. Really, really good. Would recommend you that you watch that. Um, so they've started very well. And Bayern in second after a bit of a... I mean, they, it wasn't too long ago. They lost 4-1 to Hoffenheim. So a bit of a shaky start for them uh, to the to the new league. And it sort of... It's been a weird, weird uh, footballing time for many different uh, domestic leagues. Uh, but they, they won 4-1 against Armenia Beifeld. Lewandowski, two goals. Muller, two goals. Both with an assist each as well. Uh, I mean, Lewandowski gets all applauded probably because he's the best striker in the world. But Thomas Muller's probably, there's no real defined position for Thomas Muller, but he's one of the best non-defined positioned players in the he world, is, isn't he? Yeah, it? he plays in a very free kind of role behind, almost kind of behind the striker, but joins up with the striker as well. Sometimes he drifts as well. He's, yeah, a lot like Kai Havertz, actually. I think we're saying that, you know, that if Bayern bought Kai Havertz, <laughs> He, you know, they would kind of it was it wouldn't appear to be redundant because Miller plays that kind of role. Um, so yeah, um, he's a um, yeah he's world class player. Thomas mm. I mean, everyone knows that. It's he just does it. He keeps doing it consistently every season. You know, I mean, if people keep saying he's getting too old or he's you know getting past it or whatever, I and mean, he just keeps proving them wrong. Yeah, just keeps delivering. And, uh, uh, great mentality as well. Great mentality. Yeah. Fantastic player, fantastic player. Um, and Dortmund winning 1-0, Marco Royce scoring as well. So they're in third, although they did lose, I think, 2-0, I think, to Augsburg, but I might be wrong, actually. The mind the mind is frazzled, but a uh, poor result for them, actually, as they bid to sort of go on better than they did last year, which is what they always seem to do and never seem to do it. But PSG, actually, we're talking about how they were sort of middle of the pack a few weeks ago, are now top of the league again. Uh, they won four 0 at the weekend uh, against, <laughs> against. They won four 0 at the weekend against Nîmes. Uh, Mbappe scoring twice, so that bodes well for Man United. <laughs> Red, Red also joint top, both on fifteen points. Goal difference is slightly less, uh, so it'll be interesting to see how they do. And then we look, I suppose, in La Liga, and it's uh, also a bit of a mixed bag there. Villarreal top, Real Madrid second, but Dadis, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, judging by my Spanish lessons. They beat Real Madrid one 0 at the at the Bernabeu. Uh, Negredo yeah, with the assist. Yeah, an incredible result, really. Yeah. Negredo with the assist. Anthony Lozano with the goal. They've actually started quite well. Dadis, Real Madrid have actually started quite well. Um, so that was a bit of a dent to their positive start but again I suppose symptomatic of crazy results all around Europe that we've been seeing I mean Getafe beating Barcelona also this weekend by one goal to nil although oh, Mark yeah. Mark andre Tostega wasn't available another result that um, sort of amused me well that didn't amuse me uh, it was more the lineup that they played but Celta Vigo losing 2-0 at home to Atletico uh, Suarez and Carrasco I think Suarez by the way fantastic bit of business for Atletico I mean Very good, still yeah. Arguably still in the top five strikers in the world, arguably, um, depending on w- what way you look at it. But so, you know, phenomenal player and also embodies the Atletico manager with his with his uh, attitude Absolutely on the pitch. Absolutely, he does, yeah. 
And the thing that amused me the most, I suppose, was the the, uh, the front two players that started against Celtic. Who were they, James? Who were who were Atletico's two front front players? Was it Suarez and Costa? It was Suarez and Costa. I mean, that yeah, is elite. Well, that is elite. Um, you That's know, just like going up against going to war, isn't it? It's like, going, it's going, yeah, it's going against two thugs, isn't it? I mean, um, that might be a bit disrespectful to uh, to them. They're both very good players, but yeah, it's uh, yeah. Oh, it, it very very amusing. I mean, Jao feel I do feel a bit sorry for them because Jao Felix came on for Costa, and uh, there's some good rotation there, as many people say with Atletico and, and so on. I, I think Jao Felix is an amazing player. Whenever you watch him, you think so silky and brilliant, but. It yeah. just doesn't work with him at Atletico. It just seems to... It doesn't fit the style. He needs to move to style. a club that plays a better kind of football that suits mm. him. Yeah. Mm. It would be great for him because most teams, most top teams there play a style of football that would suit him. Man City, yeah. mm. you know, Liverpool, you know, Chelsea, they all play a style of football that would that would, that would would suit him. Uh, and no one could defend in the Premier League, it would seem. So, I mean, you've got some wonderful... Yeah. Um, he can make some wonderful opportunities. Yeah, I don't know there. what it is this season that nobody can defend. It, it's uh, it's it's very strange. It's it's it, it's truly bizarre. I mean, yeah, I, I suppose the last uh, is a lasting sort of uh, that was a quick run through. I know, but it always is so much to cover. But there was uh, there's a lasting thought on this particular topic. Uh, we've seen uh, strange results not just in England but across Europe. I suppose in England, I think we've probably seen more goals than. Well, anyone would have expected, and I suppose it, 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 in Europe we've seen also. I mean, I, we we just go back in the Bundesliga, Bayern uh, losing four one to Hoffenheim, and then they, you know, they won they won this week four one. You know, Dortmund losing two 0 there, There's some, there's still some crazy results going on, particularly. And I use Germany as the example there to prove it's not just England. So, what what do you put it down to? You know, what do you put this crazy anomaly down to? Where defenders can't defend, big teams look very very vulnerable. Is there any is there any overriding factor there, or is it just simply are we just so, simply overthinking it a little bit? I think there's a few things. There's a few things. Um, the congested nature of the season. There wasn't much of a break between seasons. Top teams played more games last season. Cup competitions, Champions League, Europa League, whatever. And teams that went far in Europe, their season finished a lot later. They didn't have a proper preseason. They're basically their early season fixtures where they're pre-season and not have much time to train together. You know, it's been kind of two games a week so far. Mm. Uh, even for teams that aren't in Europe, it's been mm. two games a week. Mm. There's not much time to do work on the training ground. So top teams, you know, starting a little bit behind. And it's notable that the two, you know, Everton and Aston Villa, the two top teams, they didn't, they went in Europe last season and um, had a kind of slower end to the season, had a proper break, had a proper pre-season and recruited well as well. I mean, that, that helped. But yeah, it's not a surprise that they started the best and they looked the no. freshest and the, and the most prepared because they've had the most time to prepare. The other teams will surely catch up with them and they will. Yeah. And, but it, but that's that's definitely one factor. Yeah. I, think. I think I think that's the main one, really. I mean, just to summarise with there, I mean, PSG <laughs> Champions League final only a week or so later they were playing in Liga and half the players weren't available. That's why they started so sluggishly because most of the team were having a break. They came back and now they're top of the league. Bayern Munich a bit later, it wasn't quite as 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 
straight after the Champions League final. They had a bit of a rest. Bundesliga season started. Uh, again, they lose 4-1. They look a bit all over the place. But again, they'll probably be fighting back strongly as well. Uh, short-term uh, losses, but I imagine many of these big teams will bounce back. And I imagine that defensive resolve will return a little bit um, in time. But until then, I suppose we've just got to enjoy all of the goals that fly into the back of the net, whichever league they may be in. Uh, and that's that for that. Um, you know, four wonderful topics, I hope, discussed uh, at length. This should be on Spotify, Buzzsprout, iTunes and any other platform that I'm not aware of. But uh, sometimes sometimes, uh, sometimes I forget to read the small print. But yeah, I mean, for, for myself, that's... Uh, uh, that's a goodbye. I think, God, that's going, it's going a bit like pointless there for myself. It's a goodbye. And from James, it's a goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> quite Alexander Arms. It's not quite Alexander Armstrong and uh, Richard Osman, but uh, yeah, take care, stay safe, and uh, we'll see you next week with more discussion.